Hello, everyone. Amelia Taylor-Hawkberg here, Archinex Managing Editor. The interview you're about to hear was recorded live as part of Archinex's podcasting event series, Next Up, held at Los Angeles's Architecture and Design Museum on October 29th. We've hosted Next Ups before at Giant Jai Gallery in Los Angeles and at the inaugural Chicago Architecture Biennial. This time around, we're focusing on the LA River and the constellation of issues surrounding its redevelopment. With so much controversy and history surrounding the river, we wanted to do justice to its complexity, so we gathered a vast range of professionals, from artists and architects to planners and journalists, to share their perspective. We hope you enjoy this interview from Next Up, the LA River. So here I have Alexander Robinson, um, Assistant Professor of Architecture at USC and Head of the Office of Outdoor Research, um, and Renee Dake-Wilson, Principal of Dake-Wilson Architects, as well as the Vice President of the LA City Planning Commission. Um, so this panel is less about the fact that Renee and Alex are somehow involved in the same project and more about the kind of vibe of Next Up having this ability to bring together a bunch of different people and try to get their perhaps varying perspectives on the given um, subjects such as the river. So Alex, I'd like to start with you. Um, you recently returned from Rome. You won the Rome Prize last year and we're doing research um, on the Tiber River and its river systems in Rome and bringing back that information to your studies on the LA River. Can you, I know that was relatively recently, you're probably still digesting a lot of stuff, but can you give us some basic salient points for the time you spent there and what you might have found to be most important to bring back to your research with the river? It's, it's something I'm still processing, but certainly it was really interesting to go to Rome and look at another river, another very engineered river, and to sort of consider, you know, how, what you can learn from that kind of situation. And, and it was surprising the extent to which it has a lot of similarities. I mean, the river there is a very engineered river. It's completely channelized. And they have huge flood issues. So it's very much a river that's been, you know, they've taken out all the vegetation and made it entirely a, a concrete but stone river. But I think that what's really interesting about the Tiber River, and it's an interesting lesson and sort of um, something to think about as we go forward, is that it was a river that was entirely about making a civic revitalization for the city. The city at, at that time had just become the capital of the newly formed country of Italy. So it was a radical sort of moment in their history where they were trying to clean up the city and sort of modernize it. So they built this river to create this to deal with the flooding, which no one had been able to deal with for centuries, and then also create this conduit of movement through the city that allowed people to move through this medieval city and, ha and sort of represent their sort of new coming out as a major city in Europe. And so you look at the river now, and it's, it is a very beautiful river. They use beautiful materials, and it has a very kind of active life to it. But there's also a lot of issues that people have kind of perennially come to criticize the river for. And it very much, in, I think, in, it has something to do with the form of the, of, of the river that was created. The river is, is very deep. It has vertical walls, so it's a, very, it's a box channel. So it's very difficult to get inside the river, and it's very limited in the access. And the grand promenade that they try to create on both sides of the, of the river is very small. And sort of kind of, it's bracketed by these roads, so it's not a very, like, it doesn't, it doesn't achieve its purpose. And so there's, you kind of are limited to your experience of the river of just walking across these beautiful ridges. And so you look down, you glance at it, you have this moment, but it doesn't really, like, infiltrate, I think, into the kind of social consciousness of the city. I think it has very much to do with the form of the river. In the early stages of designing the river, they had thought about making it having banked slopes, and that would have created an entirely different way of accessing the river that actually our river have, has, which... I think it has had this sort of amazing effect in the kind of social consciousness and quality of the kind of revitalization because it's made the river very usable even though it's very engineered. So I think there's, there's a lot of kind of 
details in that final thought about how we kind of connect the river and design the river in terms of form and overcome the engineering issues to create something that really embeds itself into the like, civic life of the city. And there's a lot that we can learn from these other rivers in terms of kinds of very kind of the mistakes that we're not really thinking about right now. We're sort of, we're so far, you know, so far to go before we get to this final form making. But I think there's a lot of lessons out there and the Tiber River has a number of lessons for us because it's not really considered a success right now. Would you compare it to what's happening in Chicago currently with the production of the Riverwalk and that kind of um, development to kind of bring out the river as more of an identity piece in the city? Um, I mean, what's happening in Chicago is a lot more ambitious. It's a, it's a very different kind of river in terms of its form. It's not nearly as far down. And I think it's different. I mean, I think right now they're actually kind of looking to, to a place like L.A., which has this incredibly vibrant kind of social, you know, like a tradition of social disobedience and exciting kind of actions on the river. And they're looking at that as like an incredible model for bringing people down and changing the consciousness of the river, because right now it's sort of forgotten river. And if you went there 10 years ago, it was actually kind of a dangerous place to go. But it's, uh, it's you know, I think that the they're not looking at that kind of radical change there. So it's not really, I'm not sure if that's relevant to them. Uh, speaking of potential radical change, um, Renee, so I'd like to talk... <laughs> That's a terrible transition in between. Um, I'd like to ask you about your role in the Planning Commission and reviewing projects that in any way are related to the river. We had Elizabeth Simi refer to the queue conditions in Frogtown earlier, and that was one of the projects that you were involved with. What are some of the biggest concerns that get passed around um, among the Planning Commission when considering projects like this around the river? Well, um, thank you for having us. The Planning Commission is nine individuals from diverse backgrounds and experiences representing a broad section of city of Los Angeles. There are community activists, there are attorneys. I'm the only architect design professional. We're from all different parts of the city. So um, we're appointed by the mayor. Mayor Garcetti appointed all of us, but um, is fairly hands-off because he's trusting in the public process of having nine voters to come up with a decision and really weigh the inputs of the community. The Q conditions has been our biggest impact. Uh, the Elysian Valley Q conditions has been the item where we've had our biggest impact on a specific river neighborhood. And that was basically looking at the what the community was asking for and looking at the general pressures on the city and also looking at the physical plant. So um, access in Elysian Valley is very poor, as one of the other speakers mentioned. And having such a small, entrenched low-income community near in the center part of the city with access to great potential open space of the river really led us to want to retain that character. And Los Angeles, you know, has a huge problem with housing right now. We are woefully short of um the, you know, I think the county of Los Angeles, the number I heard recently is the county of Los Angeles is short 250,000 households for a population of 10 million people and growing. And that lends people to live further and further outside of the city. So by looking to increase housing opportunities near the city, inside the city, not only improves the environment and causes less traffic, but the best thing it improves is improves communities and time people have with their families or doing activities they would rather do. So when we look at many projects, we look at, we would like to provide more housing. But looking at the Elysian Valley queues, it was obvious that community would be completely wiped out. So 
as an architect, I was able to understand what the community had worked on with the Department of City Planning to specifically create constraints in the heights of those projects. And I was able to explain it to the commission. And that was very gratifying to say that if you're going to build more in Elysian Valley, you have to do it with affordable housing so that those residents, people who can live there, don't get displaced or that the children of the people who live there who aren't going to remain living at home have a place to go. Because I think our city in general is going to get built up and we're going to have more development and our communities are going to change. But I hope that as a voice for progressive planning and architecture, that we're able to see a future that allows the existing to live alongside the proposed and that things are going to change. You know, Los Angeles is not the same city or the same size, same population. The, The infiltration of metro, improvements along the LA River are all huge assets that we can only, you know, hope to happen to improve our city. So I'm going to be a voice for that on the planning commission always. And do you think being the architect on the planning commission makes you inherently a little bit more sympathetic to the nuances of these discussions and kind of gives you that responsibility to communicate those nuances to the rest of the board? Very much so. And that happens at every hearing where there will be a blank facade of a project or turning its back or improper yard size or an ugly building and other commissioners will turn to me and say, or say on the microphone, I'll let... I'll let Renee tackle this one. And and that's very gratifying, but I don't speak for all architects. And I hope, um, getting it back to the LA River, I don't speak for all communities, and none of us do. And I think that the river, like all of the projects, there are many voices that are, there's enough mileage on the river, enough places for all the voices that want to speak about the LA River. Whether it's LA Moss, whether it's the residents who live next door, whether it's the people that bike down it and just go the whole length, whether it's the animals that flora and fauna that have actually some water access, even though it's not next to Griffith Park, you know, they have to go through the freeway to get to it. We have that river has a wide variety of users and people that are entitled to it. It's a public space in Los Angeles. And, you know, I heard recently a statistic that 26% of metro stations are within a mile of the L.A. River and that the L.A. River is within a quarter mile of a million residents of the city of Los Angeles. So if we're talking about a park-poor city, that's, to me, a huge asset that we should look to improve while maintaining the safety for the 1%. It's really 1% of the days of the year and not every year that the river is full to its capacity so that we're going to be able to hopefully use a variety of methods to listen to all those different masters. And hopefully everyone can get along because there's enough river. We don't need to claim it for one organization or another. I think that the beauty of what Frank Gehry has done is he's brought attention and a lot of pro bono attention and information. He was able to get a survey of the entire LA River for free of the entire land situation, which is a huge asset for all the others that will come in behind this initial plan funded and organized by River LA. All of that information is going to be shared and be used by all of the community groups and cities, the variety of cities that want to develop and 
provide access to the LA River as a more habitable, more environmental space for diversity of groups. So referring to that access and creating and preserving those, the river as a public space, um, Alex, I wanted to ask you about, excuse me if I maybe butcher this, but the projective picturesque and the re- reconciling of pictorial with, could you tell me the rest of that? Like, could you talk about the rest of that project? I want, <laughs> it's basically about, as what we've talked about so, and what has come up so recent, so often in these conversations is reconciling what might be the picturesque quality of a public park of green spaces and such with the realities of these um, infrastructural icons being the flood channel, the fact that this is this concrete channel, and that in creating these public spaces, there's an attempt to reconcile those two to create a usable and accessible and overall enjoyable public space. So I was just wondering if you could speak to that effort in a, in a way. Yeah, and I think uh, I'll speak less to the picturesque part, but you know, one thing that I'm kind of working at the kind of other endpoint of planning in a speculative way and a research way in terms of understanding what, how you make the form of these infrastructures. And I study the form of these infrastructures from a number of different perspectives. I look at the history of them. I sort of understand how they're made, the way that they're, they're you know, what's the forensics of the design? What, what made the, the LA River look like this engineer's drawing? And through that, I learned about the process of design, both historically and in the, in the present, to understand that kind of culture of design. And then I also look, you know, the, these infrastructural forms are fascinating forms. They're these products of these incredible kinds of uh, accumulated I mean, not, not always very inclusive planning, but they're these very technical processes of creating form that have a very specific purpose and function that relates to their form. So learning about how you kind of create a place within these, these very specific performative forms, I think, is something that I'm interested in studying. And so I, I look at all sorts of precedents across the world and try to understand what makes a place within these forms? What, how does form matter in, in these situations? And then on the other hand, what does it matter? Like, how do you design them? What are the factors that really contribute to the design of the form? So one thing that's really interesting about the LA River is that the fact that the, the channel is sloped is because of a, a WPA calculation for a ratio of labor to materials. So when they did that calculation, they decided that if they made it slanted, you could have more workers work on it. So it added this kind of incredible human dimension to the river that we've all benefited from, you know, continuously from there on out. So that, you know, those sorts of factors are really interesting. So it's, it's very, for my work, I'm sort of, and I'm just kind of talking about my work a little bit now, but like, it's trying to map out that kind of world of design, how you work within these engineered constraints, and, and kind of get ahead of the ball in terms of working with big institutions like the Army Corps, and who do a lot of their modeling in Vicksburg for things like this try to get ahead of the ball in terms of this, some of these technical issues so that we can bring a little bit of the kind of exuberance that we see at the kind of bottom-up design world of the, of the LA River to this very top-down process that has to be very technical. So a lot of the work I do recently is trying to understand how do you make infrastructure design even playful, you know, or have sort of reduce the levity of it to allow for some sort of transformative thinking or excited moments of design within these extremely constrained conditions, because we all know how difficult it is to change the river. The Metablock Studio is sort of our icebreaker to get through there, but it's still obviously a very challenging environment to design. So, you know, how do you make place in these places? How close are they to being a place already? Because the LA River is very much a place already. So maybe we don't need to like make it into a river, you know, or some, you know, preconceived idea of the river. We need to let it develop. So we have to have an awareness of what place is already, 
what place could be, and then what we can change and how we do it and how we change that design culture. Thank you both so much. It's great to talk with you.